Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Hello, Freedom House. Great to be here with you guys today. Who's got some miracles in motion today? Anybody got a miracle in motion? Anybody got a miracle in motion? Is your miracle moving today? I believe we've got some miracles in the house that are moving. You might not even know it yet. You might not even suspect it, but God's already doing something. He's setting you up for a miracle and you don't even know it's coming. God's up in heaven right now. Just he's, he, he gets, uh, you know, just tickled about that. Just watching us sometimes, we're sweating bullets, you know, and he's up, up there in heaven just... Watch this. <laughs> I'm about to bless her. I'm about to bless him. He doesn't even see this coming. Man, it's going to be good. So I believe we've got some miracles in motion today, and we're glad you're here. I believe that, uh, that the Lord's just going to share some things with you today through his word. I don't have any, I can't help you, but God's word can change anything and everything in your life. And so we come here each and every weekend because we know the word of God has something powerful for us. This has been a amazing series, Crop Circles. We're talking about miracles, how to obtain your miracle, the process of getting miracles in your life. And so it's so exciting. My name is Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team. And for those of you who maybe are new, um, there's something unique about our church. We don't just have a senior pastor that preaches every service. At, we have multiple campuses. So we have a live communicator each and every service at each and every campus. And uh, let's give it up to our pastors real quick. That's just an amazing vision because how many of you know as we build the team, if people in our church are empowered to use the gifts that God has given us, you know, we can do more. We can touch more people. And so that's just an amazing thing, and I love our pastors for that. And we want to welcome those of you that are joining us online today. We're so glad you're with us. We've got people in North Carolina, Florida, New York, Washington State. You guys give them a hand as well. We're glad you're with us today. And uh, we're going to dig right into God's Word and talk about something that I think might shed some light on some areas in your life of how you can receive better your miracle from God. You know, sometimes in our life, when we know something is real, maybe we've experienced something, but sometimes it's still hard to wrap our brain around it. I've, I've got a friend of mine, he's a pastor, he's a little bit older than I am, and every time the space shuttle's going to launch, this guy, he just, he geeks out about it. I mean, he gets excited we used to work together years ago, and I remember he'd run to my office. Did you hear the space shuttle, man? They're gonna this Thursday. They're gonna shoot this. It's gonna. I mean, he would go to Florida. He'd be watching it all the time. I mean, he just loves it. He gets all into it. I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, and I started thinking about it. It's a pretty awesome thing that we launch human beings in outer space, right? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Why don't I get worked up about it like he does? Well, I, I thought about it. I looked up the date. You know, they the first space shuttle launched in my lifetime. So for me, my whole life, that's just always something we've done. It was never new to me. I grew up with us putting people into outer space. So I guess, I don't know, it just doesn't excite me as much as it excites him. But sometimes we have things that we see, and it's just still hard to wrap our brain around it. For me, it's airplanes. Every time I see an airplane flying through the sky, I just don't understand it. I'm like, how do we get this big, giant metal tube that weighs all these tons to stay up in the air with all these people on board? The wings look kind of small to me. I don't know about you, but they don't look that big. And when you look up over, you know, when they fly over the church, sometimes I look up and I'm like, they look like they're barely moving. I know they're going really fast, right? But it looks like they're going kind of slow. It's, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around how we make a plane fly. 
You know what? Sometimes it's like that in the spiritual realm. Maybe you've seen things that are real. Maybe you have read things in the Bible that you believe are real. But sometimes maybe it's hard for you to wrap your brain around it. Maybe you've experienced God do something in your life. Maybe you've seen or experienced a miracle. But now you need a miracle today and you find it hard to believe. You find it hard to wrap your brain around the fact that God loves you or God is going to provide for you even though you've seen him do it before. And you know what? Sometimes we have to understand that this has been going on for a long time. And there are reasons why we struggle sometimes to believe God for our miracles. And so I'm going to read you a story today. This is about Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus asked some questions. We're going to dig into this, this story. And I think God's going to uncover some things for you, maybe help you to see and understand how you can believe him in a bigger way in your life. And so we're going to start reading in Mark chapter 8. And this is verse 14. It says, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they, only, they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now, I want to set the story up for you a little bit. Jesus, just earlier in the passage, Jesus had done a miracle where he had fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. And so the disciples were used in this miracle. It wasn't like Jesus did it and they heard about it. It wasn't like Jesus did it and Jesus told them about it. No, Jesus did this miracle through his disciples. They held the fish and the bread in their hands. They broke it. They gave it to the crowd. And they saw, they felt, they experienced God do an amazing miracle right in their hands. And this had just happened. This has just happened. And then Jesus has a run-in with the Pharisees, and he's kind of, you know, tell it, correcting them a little bit where the Pharisees are getting into some error. They, they've aggravated Jesus, so he's bringing some correction to them. And then they get in this boat. And so we pick it up here. The disciples and Jesus, they're in this boat. He's done this amazing miracle, and now they're going across the sea. And the disciples are concerned because they've only got one loaf of bread. Jesus, it says in verse 15, and he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, the disciples, began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Do you not remember, guys, what like just happened? Like 10 minutes ago. I just did this miracle, and you were part of it. Do you not remember? Do you guys have amnesia or something? And they said to him, 12. They had 12 baskets left over. And the seven... For the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? See, what's happening here in this story? Well, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something about what they focus on. You see, he told them, he warned them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Well, to the Jewish people, leaven, that word leaven, they used it like we use the word sin. And not just a small sin. Leaven was like a big deal. It was unrighteousness. Leaven was like the root sin. It was a big deal. And Jesus says, hey guys, I want you to beware that you don't 
have the same leaven, the same sin, the same error, the same problem that you see in the Pharisees. Now, what was he talking about? He was talking about selfish pride and ambition. He was talking about being consumed with self because the Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day and the Pharisees were so consumed with themselves. They were so consumed with their power and their prestige and looking holy and righteous to everyone around them that as the Jewish religious leaders, the ones who knew the Scriptures, that had been promised this Messiah for thousands of years, the Jews, the one who should have been looking for Jesus to come, the Pharisees, the, the, the leaders of their day, Jesus is right in front of them. The Messiah, the promised one, the one that their scriptures told them would come was right in front of their face and they couldn't see him. They were so consumed with themselves that they couldn't see the miracle. They couldn't see that God was doing something, that the kingdom of God was coming. It was right in front of them. They could reach out and touch it, but they couldn't understand. They couldn't see, they couldn't experience Jesus because they were so consumed with themselves. You see, they couldn't see the reality of Jesus as the Messiah because he didn't fit their agenda. He didn't fit into their plan. And we have to remember sometimes that we are all playing a part in God's story. You see, the world will tell you that the story's all about you. We like to believe that. We're raised to believe that everything in life is about me. If I don't defend me, who will? If I don't provide for me, who will? If I don't care about me, who will? And so we make the story about us. I just read a book uh, on marketing. And this book it was a really good book, and I think it probably works very well. But the book is all about, hey, if you want to market successfully, brand successfully, what you need to do is, is you need to make sure the story is about your customer because they want to be the hero of their story. Let me tell you something. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. And we have to remember that the story's not about us. The story's about him. When you take yourself out of the lead role in the story, guess what? Life gets a lot less stressful. Life begets a lot, it gets a lot easier to endure. It gets a lot easier to, to make it through the day. The weight begins to lift when I understand, hey, it's not about me, it's about him. And so we have to remember that we're part of his story. The disciples in this story are literally freaking out about going hungry because they didn't bring enough bread. Jesus is right there in front of them. He just did a miracle that they participated in. They just took some loaves and fish and broke them, fed 5,000 people, and now they're freaking out about going hungry, not having lunch. Jesus is 10 feet from them. Instead of freaking out about not having enough bread, you know what they should have done? They should have said, hey, guys, we only have one loaf of bread. Jesus is about to do something really cool, right? I mean, they just saw him do a miracle, but what is their reaction? Instead, they're focused on the problem of this one loaf of bread. They're missing the whole point. Jesus is telling them, hey guys, don't get so concerned with all these earthly things that you miss what God's about to do right in front of your face. How is it possible that after seeing all these miracles, how is it possible after seeing Jesus walk on water, heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes, how is it possible that they still had no faith? How is it possible? 
Well, Jesus in this story asked them three questions. Three questions. He really asked nine individual questions, but it's really three central questions that he asked. And I believe that he's asking us those same questions today. So we're going to take a minute this morning. We're going to go through these questions together. And I believe God is going to uncover some things that you can use in your life to help you not be like the disciples in this story and not walk in this area where you can't believe God or see what God is doing or wants to do in your life. What's the first question that Jesus asked them? The first question is, why are you discussing the circumstance? Why are you guys talking about the problem? Why are you discussing the facts, the details, the problems in your life? You know, when we have a problem in our life, you know what we love to do? We love to talk about it. We all have that friend of ours that they always want to come and hang out. All they want to do is talk about their problems. Man, let me tell you, I, I've just been going through it. Man, my husband, he's such a knucklehead. He's been a knucklehead. Man, I've been married 20 years, and he's still a knucklehead. I think his head's getting harder by the day. He's such a knucklehead. And you know, my boss at work, he is so mean to me. My boss never, I should have got a raise a year ago, and I still had not got my raise. What's wrong with my boss? My boss is such a jerk. He, he just takes me for granted. And now my back's hurting, man. My back's hurting. I need to go to the chiropractor because my back's hurting. I think it's hurting because I've been worrying so much about my knuckle-headed boss and my knuckle-headed husband, man. I, I just got all these problems. It's that friend that every time you're with them, they want to sing you a country song. <laughs> Everything's about them. I mean, the next thing you know, their dog's going to run away. I mean, <laughs> and don't we do that? I catch myself sometimes dwelling on my problems, talking about every detail, every issue of my life that's not the way I want it to be because when we have a problem, we want to talk about it. We want to focus on it. We want to get into the details like that's going to solve it. It's not going to help anything, but we love to do it. We love to do it. We all have that friend. We love to explore every potential cause, every potential thing to blame. And you know what? This is the United States of America. So if something goes wrong, we've got to have somebody to blame. Somebody slips on a banana peel, who are we suing? Right? I mean, there's got to be somebody to blame. I mean, I don't know who, who, the, you know, who the company was that sold that banana, but I, that thing shouldn't have been that slippery. Something, something is wrong. I mean, my hip is hurting. I've got to sue somebody. Somebody is to blame. And you know the disciples were on the boat, and they were doing the same thing. They were sitting there talking about who was supposed to get the bread. Guys, I know Jesus, Jesus, I get it, Pharisees, hold on a minute. Who, who, Mark was supposed to get the bread, wasn't he? I'm telling you it was Mark. Mark's over there saying, listen, I was praying for people. John wasn't carrying anything. Why didn't John get the bread? John could have got the bread. I don't even understand. Why is it my fault? They were trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. Isn't that what we do in our lives? We got to talk about every problem and every detail, and there's got to be somebody to blame. That's what we love to do. We love to think about it. And I know, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are getting mad at me. Some of you are thinking, I've heard this before. He's just going to tell me to ignore my problems. Just pretend my back's not hurting. Just pretend my boss is nice to me. Just pretend my husband's not a knucklehead. But that's not what I'm saying at all. And that's not what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Look back at the scripture. Jesus actually asks, why are you discussing the fact? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? So God doesn't expect us to ignore our problems. If your back's hurting today, your back's hurting. If your bank account's empty, guess what? That's a real thing. 
We have real problems. And God doesn't expect us to ignore them. This is not about the power of positive thinking. You can think positively all day and your problems just going to get worse. You ignore them, they're not going to get any better. So Jesus is not telling us to ignore our problems. What is Jesus trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us something important, and that's that your problem is not your problem. See, we think our problems are our problems. But our problems are not our problems. Our heart is our problem. See, the problem is not the problem. The problem is that you're focusing on the problem. You're so wrapped up talking about, thinking about, meditating on your problem. That has become the problem. He had just warned them not to be carnally minded like the Pharisees in Herod. He just warned them. Hey guys, don't do that. And what do they do? Hey guys, let's talk about where, whose fault was it about the bread? Immediately, they start focusing on their problems. He warns them, don't be so concerned about yourself. Don't be so concerned with all this natural stuff because it will distract you from the kingdom of God. It's going to get your eyes off what really matters. When I become me and my problems focused, I enlarge my problems and I shrink my God. Whatever you focus on is going to get bigger in your mind, in your heart. So you have to watch what you're focusing on. See, most of us, we think it's the big things, and it's really not the big things that mess us up. We think, man, I don't have any big sins. I'm not hooked on drugs. I don't, you know, I don't beat my wife. I don't, I'm, I don't have a criminal record. I'm not out here hurting people. I'm not doing the big stuff I judge everybody else for. Some of y'all get that after lunch. It's these, it's these little things. I mean, I, I just, you know, maybe I don't read my Bible enough, or maybe I gossip a little bit, or maybe I just get a little, I worry sometimes. But worry's not a big sin. Worry's not a big deal. It's just a little thing, right? And we think it's the big things, and we forget about the small things. The other day I was reading this uh, nature thing, and it was about these birds are called cowbirds. I had never heard of a cowbird before. Sounds like a hideously ugly bird. <laughs> never seen one. Hope I never do. But... It was talking about up, in, up north, I think it was Illinois, there's been this just takeover by these birds. They're called cowbirds. And these birds are a real problem, and this is what these birds do. They go and they lay an egg in the nest of another bird. These cowbirds, I guess, are lazy or something. They won't build their own nests. <laughs> and so what they do is they go find another bird that's built a nice nest, and then they lay one little egg in the nest of this other species. Sounds harmless enough, right? I mean, they're birds, right? How much harm could that be? Just let the poor little baby cowbird be. But there's a problem. Because these cowbirds, you see, they are just prodigious egg layers. I mean, they lay 20 to 40 eggs a season. They are busy. So they're out here laying all these eggs, and they're just putting one here and one there. Still no big deal, right? 40 eggs, but they're just putting one in each nest, but there's a problem. The problem is the cowbird chicks, they hatch earlier than the other birds. And they grow faster than the other birds. And so what do the mama birds do? They come back, and the mama bird is going to feed the biggest, loudest chick. So the mama comes back and feeds the cowbird chick, and they ignore their own chicks. So their own chicks are dying, and actually whole species of birds are almost going extinct 
because these cowbirds are distracting them from their own chicks. You see, Satan doesn't have to get you in some big, massive sin. All he's got to do is keep you feeding the wrong chicks. He just keeps you distracted from the things of God, and next thing you know, you've got a problem. Because if you don't stay focused on the things of God, you're not going to mature in your faith. You're not going to mature, you're not going to grow, and Satan can keep you right where he wants you. Now, this doesn't mean that persistence is bad. I just preached, the last message I preached on was on persistence, and the Bible teaches us to be persistent in prayer. But here's the thing, when my kids come to me and they bug me for something they want, they don't talk about the problem, they talk about the promise. My kids bug me for the thing they want. We're supposed to be persistent with God, but we should be speaking about His promise, not the problem. We should be persistent pursuing Him for the answer that we know He can give. We need to talk about the Word. We need to talk about the promises of God. The more you focus on the Word of God, the more your heart will begin to turn to faith. Remember, what you focus on gets bigger. In Mark chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is telling the story, the parable of the sower that sows the word. And I don't have time to cover the whole story today, but in verse 18, he talks about a certain type of person. He says, The others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. It proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, and a hundred-fold. So what's Jesus telling us here? He says, listen, there are those of you who come to church. There are you, those of you who accept the Bible as God's word, and you still don't grow. You still don't see God move or experience what you could because you allow the cares of this world to choke out the word. You have to be consistent. And when I started thinking about this, it reminded me of something important. When I was a kid, my dad liked to garden. And if any of you have ever gardened before, let me tell you, it is eerily like work. Um, if you want to have a good, healthy, productive garden, it is not easy. You can't dabble or play around. You can't try to have a garden. You've got to have a garden. You have to plow the soil. You have to break up the ground. You have to make the rows. You have to plant certain things at certain times in a certain way. You have to water it. You have to get the weeds out. You have to fertilize. I'm tired just thinking about it. I don't know why anyone would want a garden. Besides, my dad's tomatoes were amazing. But I liked enjoying the garden. But I don't want to have to plant one because it's a lot of work. You can't accidentally have a great garden. You have to have intentionality. You have to have intention. You have to plan, prepare, till the ground. You have to work that garden. Let me tell you, if you want to have a vibrant relationship with God, you can't dabble. You've got to be intentional about blocking out the distractions of this world. You have to be intentional about separating time for your relationship with God. You're never going to be fruitful in your Christian life if you dabble. Christianity is not a hobby. You have to be intentional. You have to pursue God. Hebrews says that faith is not only believing that God is, but that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to diligently seek the Lord. And so if we want to be fruitful, we have to get intentional and we have to stay intentional if we want to bear fruit. If we're so consumed with our problems 
that we never focus on our relationship with God, we will stay immature. Now, my son's 10. If when he was five, you know, he's way down here. If he was 10 and he was still way down here, you know, I'd take him to a doctor. Right? Something would be wrong. I mean, I feed the boy. Lord knows. I see my grocery bill. I mean, I know I feed him. So why isn't he getting bigger? Right? I mean, if you had a child and your child was staying the same size, they weren't growing, you would freak out. You would take them to the doctor. You'd say, something is, is badly wrong with my child. My child's not healthy. Something's wrong. But yet we have people that sit in our church one year, three years, five years, ten years, and never grow spiritually. And we never say a word. We accept it as normal. Let me tell you something. It's not normal not to grow in your faith. It's not normal not to see and experience God in your life. It's not normal to walk around in doubt and unbelief and fear and paranoia and depression. That's not normal in the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean we don't have problems, but it does mean we have the answer to the problems. It does mean that we're moving toward something in our faith. It means we're fighting the good fight. It means that we're fighting like someone said earlier, we're fighting from victory. That's what it means. And so we need to be constantly growing in our faith. We shouldn't stay immature. What's the second question that Jesus asked? This one's a doozy. This one kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. Jesus says, are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? He asked his disciples that. I mean, I can see myself now on the boat with Jesus. Jesus, I'm with you every day. Jesus, I serve you. Jesus, I'm, I'm one of your inner. Is my heart, what are you asking me? Is my heart hardened? But see, here's the thing. I'm going to show you in a moment in another scripture that their hearts had become hard, meaning they had lost their sensitivity to hear the voice of God. They were missing out on what God was trying to do in their life because they had allowed the things of this world to harden their heart so they couldn't perceive or understand what Jesus was trying to tell them. Can you hear God's still small voice? Because God doesn't yell, he usually whispers. God comes and he speaks to you like this. And many of you in here today are thinking, well, I've never heard the voice of God before. It's not because God hadn't spoken to you. God's always speaking the only problem is sometimes we're not listening. You know, there are TV signals, radio signals, all kinds of signals going through this room right now. But if I don't have a TV and I don't tune into the right frequency, at the, you know, I, I can't receive, I can't hear, I can't see, I miss out on the whole message. I've got to have a receiver to receive the right signal. God's always speaking to you. He's always encouraging you. He's always moving in your life. But sometimes we're blind or deaf to the, the voice of God. Why? Because we've lost our sensitivity to hear God's voice. When I was in high school, I worked a job. I worked really late hours. And so I would come home late at night. And my dad, my dad loved to uh, train this dog I had. And, and the dog, his name was Snoopy. He was a beagle. Dumbest dog I've ever seen. Um... <laughs> Don't get mad at me. I, I didn't make him dumb. He was just dumb. And my dad would try to train this dog, and he just couldn't. And my dad was great with dogs. I mean, he could train dogs to do tricks, to do all kind of stuff. But he just had a time with this dog because he just wasn't the brightest. And my dad would actually use beer to train the dog and try it sometimes. Dogs love beer. Um, don't call PETA on me. I didn't do it. My dad did it. So dad's training the dog with the beer, and he's, you know, and every... Night, I'm coming home. You know, come to think of it, the dog might have not been dumb. He might have been drunk. Um, <laughs> I mean, it could have been. <laughs> True story. But every night I come home, 
And I would come home to the same hilarious scene. It's 2, 3 in the morning. I pull up at the house, and the dog is fighting to get his head out of this little crack in my dad's uh, window of his truck, and he's just, uh, you know, fighting to get out. And my dad's cussing and yelling and hitting the dog. Get off me! Because the dog's all over him. And why was the dog doing that? The dog was doing it because he was excited because his master was coming home. You see, he was my dog. And so when he knew I was coming, he would get excited. But here was the cool part. My dad told me one time, he said, you know the dog starts acting like that five to seven minutes before you actually get home. You see, when my car was a mile, mile and a half away, my dog had trained his ear to hear the engine, the unique, specific sound of my car. And he knew when his master was getting close. That's how we should be with God. If God just whispers, we should stop everything. We should get excited. Why? Because my daddy's trying to tell me something. And he always tells me something good. And so we've got to be sensitive so we can hear the voice of God. We have to prioritize that and keep ourselves sensitive because God's always speaking. Let's, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Mark chapter 6. This is just a couple chapters before the passage we read a little bit ago. And you'll see how similar it is. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the water, Jesus was cool, wasn't he? he was, he's just out there cruising on the water. So they saw him walking on the water. They cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, which makes no sense at all. I mean, if you're in the boat and you see Jesus walking on the water, I mean, he's kind of done all these amazing things, raised the dead, healed the sick. I mean, you've seen him do countless miracles. If somebody's going to walk on water, probably Jesus, right? I mean, two plus two is four. I mean, they should have figured that one out. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Jesus had style. He said, everybody chill. I'm here. Everything's all right. And he climbed into the boat, and this is even better. The wind stopped. He's walking in a storm. They're freaking out. He says, everybody relax. I'm here. He jumps in the boat, the storm stops. I could imagine him just sitting there looking at him, probably winked. <laughs> Jesus. Storm, nature, it's all about me. He jumps in the boat, the storm stops, and it says they were totally amazed. But you know, that's not a good amazed. That's not an amaze like me or you sitting here today talking about all these awesome miracles that Jesus did. This was a bad amazed. And it says, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Why? Because their hearts were too hard to take it in. They had lost their sensitivity to God. Here's Jesus doing the coolest miracle ever. He's walking on the water. He jumps in the boat. The storm stops. He's winking at them. He's being awesome. And they can't understand a thing. Why? Because their hearts were too hard to take it in. They couldn't understand. They couldn't perceive what God was trying to do in their life. Man, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be somebody with a hard heart. I don't want to have my heart hardened by the things of this world. Because you know what? All the cares of this world, all the things of this world, it'll try to harden your heart. It'll try to tell you that God doesn't love you, that God's not moving in your life, that God's not speaking to you. I don't want to be like that. I want to have a heart that's sensitive to God. Remember the first question Jesus asked? Why are you talking about the problem? 
Talk about the promise. If you want a heart that's sensitive to God, it's really, really simple. You have to stay focused on God and not the problem. You have to spend time listening to his voice. And, you know, you've got to spend quality time, but you've also got to spend quantity time. You've got to spend quantity time. You see, sometimes we underestimate the momentum of our flesh. You see, some of us spend years and years and years building up all this momentum in our flesh. We live in the flesh. We're not spiritual. We don't pray. We don't read. We don't really walk in this relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, we're saved. God does something in our life, and we just expect everything to turn around in a second. And we underestimate the momentum we have going the wrong direction. You know, if you're going down the highway at 80 miles an hour, it's hard to turn around. You've got to slow down first. We've got to change our momentum from momentum in the flesh to momentum in the spirit. And we have to spend time. Listen, you spent 10, 15, 20, 30 years in the flesh, and then you want to turn around and become a Christian, and we think overnight I come up front and somebody prays with me. That's great. That's a start. But that's not enough. We have to spend quantity time with God if we want to turn these things around in our life. You know, the average American spends 11 hours, on average, a day consuming media of some kind. On our phone, on our TV, on the radio, whatever it may be, 11 hours a day. How much time do you spend with God? And we think, well, I read for 10 minutes. I came to church and I heard this awesome message. Pastor Troy preached this life-changing word. And then I went home and washed it down with five hours of TV. That's what we do. That went over about like I thought. <laughs> People don't like this one. But you know what is true? You've got to spend some quantity time with God if you really want to keep your heart sensitive to Him. I could lie to you and tell you you don't if y'all like that better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but you know what? It won't work. I can tell you in my own life, you have to spend quantity time with God. I watched this video the other day, and the guy was talking about how many books he's read in his life. And he was freaking out because he thought, man, there's so many good books in the world. And he loves to read. But he's like, I never read. I'm not, you know. And so they figured it up. How many books would this guy read his whole life? 55 books. So he was talking to this guy. And the guy helped him figure out how he could instead, in his lifetime, he could read 1,000 books. Big difference between 55 books and 1,000 books. You know what the difference was? 30 minutes a day. If he would take 30 minutes every day, dial back the social media, and read he would go from 55 books to 1,000 books. That's a big difference. And so you know what? Start where you are. Maybe, maybe you don't read at all, and you need to start reading one verse a day. Maybe you need to up it to two verses a day. Maybe you need to read a chapter a day. Wherever you're at, that's fine. But don't fall into this trap. We always say, just start where you are. But some of you have been in the church for 27 years, and you still read one verse a day, right? We got to grow up. We got to extend it out a little bit. We got to, at some point, activate our faith and say, you know what? I got to go a little deeper in this thing. I want to grow in my relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be remembered as someone who kind of knew God. I'm going to say that one again. I don't want to be remembered as someone who kind of knew God. I want to know Him. Don't you? I want to know Him. What's the last question Jesus asked, and this is really the most powerful. The last question he asked is, do you not remember? Do you not remember, guys? He says, hey, disciples, 
Just a few minutes ago, you were doing the miracle. I was working through. I mean, we fed 5,000 people. The power of God was on demonstration. Do you not remember? So often in our lives, we don't remember the things that God has already done. Do you not remember? Have you ever written down all the miracles that God has done in your life already? Sometimes we reflect so much on the things that are bad in our life and we forget all the things that are good. We forget to focus on the miracles that God has already done. And maybe you're standing here today and you're saying, you know what, I don't know that I've ever seen a miracle. If you've come to faith in Christ, you've experienced the greatest miracle of all. There's no greater miracle than for God to take a heart of stone, a heart that's hopeless and dark, and to turn it into a heart of flesh where we can believe Him, where we can experience His love and His hope. There's no greater miracle than that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've experienced that miracle. I want to read you a scripture, and I'm going to close with this. This is Romans chapter 5, one of my favorite passages of the Bible. In verse 9, it says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will certainly, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God, listen to this, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Man, while we were his enemy, he sent Jesus. When you didn't know God, he sent Jesus. When you didn't want to know God, when you were lost in your sins, he sent Jesus. And if when you were his enemy, he would send his best. If when you were his enemy, he would send Jesus to die for you. Now that you're his friend, what will he withhold? What miracle will he not do? What prayer will he not answer? If now as his child and his friend, we go to him in faith. When we were his enemy, he sent Jesus. I want to challenge each one of you this week. Write that down. Write that down that while I was his enemy, he sent Jesus. And every time Satan tries to lie to you and say that the answer is not on the way, all you have to do is look at that and say, yeah, but he sent Jesus. Every time Satan says you're not good enough, you look back at that and say, yeah, maybe so, but he sent Jesus. You're not going to get your healing, yeah, yeah, but he sent Jesus. The answer is not coming for a while, yeah, 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 Satan, but he sent Jesus. Every time your heart begins to have a little doubt, just look at that and rejoice and say, he sent Jesus. I don't have to worry about a thing. I don't have to discuss the problem because I've already received the promise. He sent Jesus. And because of that, because of that everything, everything is possible. Because he sent Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to encourage you today that everything I'm talking about can be yours. None of us are perfect. None of us live a perfect life. And being a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. In fact, sometimes it turns the volume up on your problems a little bit. Because Satan will attack you. 
But what I am telling you is victory can be yours. You can receive from God. You can hear from God every single day. The closeness, you, the closeness of your relationship with God depends on you, not him. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So I want to ask everyone real quickly, just for a moment, if you would bow your head and close your eyes, because I don't want to ever not take an opportunity. Because there could be someone in this room today, and you've heard the word of God, and you think, man, I want to know God. This sounds really good, but I've never done it before. I've never talked to God. I've never had a relationship with God. And I know I've got sin in my heart. I know I've, I've not lived a perfect life. It's okay. The Bible tells us he paid the price for you. He died on the cross for one reason, to take away anything that would separate you from God and to make a way for you to be his friend. We just read that. You can be a friend of God. All you have to do, the Bible says, is believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. So we're going to do that together today as a church. If every head's bowed, every eye's closed, don't, don't worry about anybody around you. This is just about you and your relationship with God. And if that's you today and you say, yes, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to hear his voice. I want to know him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? We just want to say a simple prayer with you. Amen. Hands going up all across the room. All across the room. I'm going to give it one more second. I believe there's a few more people. If that's you, just raise your hand. It's just an act of faith. Don't worry about who's looking around. Don't worry about anything but you and God. Amen. Hands up all around the room. Let's pray this together, church. Say, Father God, I thank you that you came. You died so I could be your friend. I don't want a hard heart. I want a soft heart. I want to be sensitive to your spirit. When you talk, I want to hear. God, change me. Make me a new creation from the inside out. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again. Be alive in me today. I receive it by faith right now in Jesus name amen